everyone, this is Rise Up, AAPI Excellence, a podcast devoted to celebrating the experiences, challenges, and success of the Asian, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander community. I am your host, Dr. Xuan Wong Wolf. Hello, everyone. I'm very pleased today to be joined by my guest, Dr. Anjali Bagra. Professor of Medicine at Mayo Clinic and the Medical Director of Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity. Thank you, Dr. Xuan um, Wang-Wolf. I am so delighted to be here. Thank you for your kind invite, and I can't wait to dive into this rich discussion. Awesome. We're so happy for you to join us. Um, I'm looking forward to our discussions as well. Would you like to introduce a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, thank you. Um, I'm Dr. Anjali Bagra. And uh, for those of us who cannot see, I am a brown-skinned woman born in India, uh, brought up in India, completed uh, medical school training in India, uh, and then relocated with my husband uh, and uh, trained at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And I've had the honor of not just training here, but also serving as faculty. Um, and more, more recently um, in the role of medical director of equity, inclusion, and diversity. Outside of work, I am a proud mom to two boys, age 13 and uh, 17. A music lover, uh, would have loved to have some talent as well, but mostly um, appreciate music um, and uh, love to cook, not the greatest chef. <laughs> That's a well-rounded skill set there. <laughs> I love cooking as well. And then we especially love, um, you know, Indian cuisine. We, visit, we recently visited Asheville, North Carolina, which is not very far from where we currently live. And then mm-hmm. we found an Indian restaurant that was, it's called Andas. It's like a free oh. advertisement here. Yeah. <laughs> and we've absolutely loved it. It's like divine. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Same. I resonate so much with you. Um, I'm a musical lover, music lover as well, but mm-hmm. I can't read musical scores because I was not trained when I was a kid, but you know, it's just that kind of appreciation of music. Um, it's really, really, um, you know, um, it's a bliss as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I'm a lover of diverse cuisines. And uh, there is, uh, there is a distinct cuisine, Indo-Chinese, which is like a whole modification of uh, (laughs) Chinese cuisine with a ton of Indian masala in it. Uh And someday I feel we should both try that. Absolutely. This is actually the first time I heard about this type of cuisine. (laughs) That's so interesting. Yeah. I yeah, grew awesome. up on it. Trust me, that would be fun to do together. Yeah, indeed. We should do a cooking show together. <laughs> For sure. Um, so, um, you know, after reading your bio um, online, and I was so amazed by your experience and your advocacy for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So in your research, um, you know, based on your publications and case studies and clinical, uh, you know, experiences, um, one of your focus is to dis- decrease stress and anxiety, uh, especially uh, among the sex differences, right? For example, anxiety or stress, mm-hmm. particularly for women. Would you like to elaborate on that topic? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that question. I think, uh, you know, this is a question and also a personal experience, as I was sharing with you earlier about my life path and, uh, you know, the move across the globe. Mm -hmm. I felt like, um, you know, we had a case controlled study at home with my husband leaning into the change. Uh, I would say a little differently than me, whether or not we could attribute it to sex differences or personality differences was a mystery. During my educational journey and training here, um, I got deeply interested in resilience, stress management, and really trying to get to the core of it. And I decided that to, for me to be able to become an expert in the field, I needed to undergo some training. So I underwent uh, a full-fledged uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction training, as well as biofeedback training. And I got more and more intrigued about my own personal experiences and differences that I noted uh, in parenting as a mother versus parenting, um, you know, from my husband as a father. And I started digging deep into the research around it. Um, and sure enough, I think uh, what I found was there is a societal difference in how we wrap our heads and arms around gendered roles. So I'm not sure if I can fully attribute it to a biological difference because, you know, I don't want this to fit into a woman alone or a man alone identity because this really um, pans over a gender identity spectrum. But I would say societally over hundreds of years, uh, you know, the expectations of, you know, those of us who identify as a woman versus those who identify as a man. And now, you know, our colleagues who identify as members within LGBTQ group, they are very different and they do impact the level of stress that we perceive because it leads to, there's plenty of research highlighting uh, asymmetry in domestic work that professional women do compared to professional men, for example. And if we really look at these gendered roles, they all add up to differences in perceptions of stress. It's not only that if we look at leadership structures, you know, who are in positions of power that are making policy, and I'm speaking out of experience within healthcare, for example, we know that uh, you know, there is differences and there are gaps in leadership of women at the highest level, for example, in healthcare. And we also know from McKinsey report that this is not unique to healthcare, but in the corporate sector, uh, we know that women, um, you know, colleagues who identify as women are not in those top leadership roles comparably to our colleagues who identify as men. So I would say there are a lot of differences. Um, what I've been able to explore with uh, some of the research around this is uh, societal factors, individual factors, as well as organizational factors that really lead to these uh, differences. And also what's interesting is that we lean on different mechanisms to cope with these stressors. Our approaches to stress management, uh, I would say out of personal experience as a woman are different than um, what I notice in my household, I'm outnumbered at home. Um, I have two boys and, and a husband. So, uh, but, you know, so there are a lot of differences, as you pointed out, in causation, in perception of stress, um, how this leads to a 
difference in reported levels of stress by men, women, as well as LGBTQI population. Um, and, you know, there are differences in how people handle their stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, really, in our society, that's well woven with all kinds of different factors, you know, gender, ethnicity, religion, right, um, you know, um, family, and then etc. It's it's really amazing to see there are so many different um, um, you know factors that influence our health and you know stress stress and anxiety levels and then you know how we adapt it via developing those different kind of mechanisms that you mentioned. Um, I think that kind of leads to our next my next question about how we can um, you know decrease you know the stress and anxiety, um, and, you know, through healthy <laughs> sort of mindfulness or, you know, in your research, you also focused on healthy aging through um, happiness or optimism. Mm-hmm. Would you like to share more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to share that. Uh, you know, I'd like to go back quickly on differences and stress. I would say one big factor that complicates these uh observed differences is intersectionality. I mean, if we add on top of, you know, my identity as a woman, and you know, you add on top of that, my identity as a brown woman, as an Asian woman, as a mom, you know, all of these factor in. So when we look at, for example, COVID in this past year has really pulled back the sheets on inequities in, um, in stress and anxiety, Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know that in terms of workforce, this has really impacted women who have exited workforce in way higher numbers uh, compared to men. In fact, all the progress that we were making in catching up in gender equity, we seem to have lost a lot of ground. And when we carefully look at the data, mm-hmm. it, you know, Hispanic uh, women, uh, women who are Black and African-American, women with disability, they are far more disproportionately impacted Mm -hmm. um, compared to, let's say, women who are white. Uh, Also, in this era, we know, you know, just the hate crime against uh, women from Asian background Mm -hmm. have really added. So I think one size does not fit all. Intersectionality plays a big role um, in people's experiences. So, it, you know, it would be inaccurate to oversimplify it into two, you know, parts of women and men, because it is right. way more complex than that. Right. When it comes to, though, how do we manage stress and anxiety and how do we move towards a healthy aging um, mantra? I think there is there are, there are things that we all could learn from. That, that recipe is not different for one versus the other, although people may choose to practice it in different ways. So mm-hmm. in other words, the basic underlying principles are same to all, but one size does not fit all. Um, so I would say the basic underlying principles of managing stress and anxiety would be to focus on our locus of control. So in the past year, if Honestly, if you and I wanted to control the spread of the pandemic, the best thing we could do was focus on masking and practicing healthy uh, social isolation ourselves. We could certainly share that with others, but we cannot impose it Mm -hmm. on others. Also, what 
um, the pandemic has taught us is acceptance. And that's a big, big ingredient of stress management, really accepting the uncertainty around us and letting go of um, the urge to control too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because in reality, we don't control a whole lot um, in our lives and really understanding, you know, what are the boundaries uh, of control. I also feel like after having gone through and practiced um, these principles over years and having shared it with my patients, having a discipline and a commitment to our health and healthy living is the number one step. You, we can all read as many self-help books that we want. We can dig into the research, but until and unless we have the intention and a commitment that you know we are going to commit to it, I don't think we're going to make progress. The other pieces, along with intention and commitment, there needs to be simplification. We cannot complicate our already complex lives. So I never give my patients or my learners uh, any recipe for meditation or mindfulness that's beyond four minutes. I'm a big believer in meditation 2.0. What can I do in two minutes to reclaim myself? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes just having that commitment and intention would mean I listen to an uplifting song. Um, So there are many ways of doing it, but these are the underlying principles. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's amazing. And thank you so much. I was just talking down all the the keywords and notes there (laughs) to share. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, having a focus um, of control for someone, I feel like, I realized that because, you know, really, there's only so much we can control within our, you know, boundary, within our ability and responsibility. And then, I mean, I admit I'm a little bit of a control freak, but <laughs> it's, it's good to know that, it, you know, sometimes letting it go can, uh, you know, do a lot of good for health, not only physical health, but also mental health as, uh, as well. And I'd really like what you shared about the intention and commitments. I, I, I meditate as well. Um, I'm a Buddhist. So uh, it's kind of the mindfulness and uh, meditation is part of my daily sort of operations. <laughs> but, you know, like you said. That's fantastic. Uh, thank you. Like you said, um, sometimes a four or five minutes um, intentional meditation, mindfulness exercise really uh, starts the day um, much brighter um, and then, you know, have a more focused core and control um, to get ready for the new challenge. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I think we are just just wired in a very bad circuit because human brain just loves control. And that's one thing we cannot have in life. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm speaking of my experiences like international medical graduates, for example, mm-hmm. you know, they go through a whole different training path. There are licensing requirements. There are visa constraints. So they go through a whole different layered level of stress compared to, um, you know, for example, other American medical graduates. And I'm speaking within healthcare and medical training. Mm-hmm. The paths are, you know, you have to go through the same training program, but the paths are different because, you know, there is so much extra stress from handling, let's say, visa constraints and balancing careers, and that impacts your opportunity. 
but that is something you know you you can't have full control over mm-hmm. um exactly especially it relates to policy making and then you know the standard procedures and requirements all the different kind of thresholds especially for international graduates to jump over and i think yeah definitely like you said um it's good to have um a realization of what can be you know within our management area and what cannot yeah yeah that's wonderful um thank you so much for sharing uh, your expertise i think um, I believe our audience already benefited a lot from, uh, you know, your insights on um, stretch management and healthy, um, you know, healthy um, aging through mindfulness uh, and happiness. And would you like to share a little bit about um, your um, advocacy work through a Mayo Clinic? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be um, happy to share my personal experience um, you know, as you and I were talking before the recording, uh, I relocated 17 years ago, uh, mm-hmm. well, almost 18 years ago now, and came to a whole new global landscape uh, and realized that just wearing the uniform of uh, a mom in a professional landscape and training, I had some unique challenges. And I feel like uh, you know, necessity is mother of invention. You know, when you go through an experience firsthand, you, you just are exposed to the gaps in the understanding of the world around you, how your challenges are unique. And I would say very early on um, in my training, I uh, witnessed some amazing mentoring uh, at my institution. So I trained at Mayo Clinic And I, you know, despite like me and my husband being in a phase of early parenthood, going through training, we both had challenges. We came across some amazing mentors here. And we really, I started understanding the meaning of advocacy and what it entails. It really entails, you know, being in people's shoes and understanding their experiences and lending those who don't have a voice a voice of credibility and a voice of hope and a voice of possibility. So I was really fortunate uh, to witness that I had mentors who were advocating for me. Um, and I've, I, the more I grew into the space, the, the more uh, convinced I was that this is what I'm going to commit my career to as well and give back and, you know, really uh, close this loop on uh advancing advocacy, and also transitioning into leadership. Because I think both have a place for advancing meaningful change and uh, creating impact. So after training, um, I came on staff here and uh, identified a lot of opportunities where I could step into more formalized leadership roles and understand the working at the organizational level, organizational behavior, and, and really the distinct place for advocacy and leadership pertinent to issues of equity, inclusion, and diversity. And um, again, learned a lot, got an opportunity to network outside of my organization across sectors. And uh, this is why we are recording this podcast uh, uh, where we found each other um, on social media. And so I would say this is something I learned from my mentors who served as advocates for me. I also saw gaps uh, that our current society has 
um, as well as organizational uh, gaps and opportunities. And um, that's where I put in my commitment um, and uh, utilizing some of these earlier principles of mindfulness where, you know, understanding your control and your impact um, and really fostering teams and empowering others in the space um, has really been a fulfilling way for my advocacy efforts and leadership efforts in the space. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences in, you know, um, enhancing the advocacy, advocacy work and then how, um, you know, stepping into the leadership roles can, you know, help strengthen advocacy and then, um, you know, making a much bigger and better impact to the community. And I really like uh, what you shared about giving back to the community. Um, you know, it's really um having a great mentor and you know that kind of a support community is really important and then like you said um you know it's having you know the voice of the hope and then having you know variety of different kind of voices heard from the community within the community is you know really values the mission of um, equity inclusion and diversity um i really i really love it and then it's, it's your journey is so amazing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, so if our, any of our audience is interested in connecting with you, um, how, what's the best way to reach out to you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Anjali Bagra MD, all one word. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, so I'm available via that. Uh, or if you Google, it will not be hard to find me on the Mayo Clinic um, internet website. So a variety of different ways of reaching out. I also have the honor of uh, co-directing uh, some Mayo Clinic conferences that are really committed to equity, inclusion, and diversity. One of them is GRIT for Women in Medicine, and the GRIT is for Growth, Resilience, Inspiration, Tenacity for women in medicine and has a strategic focus on advancing gender equity um, of leadership uh, within medicine. And the other one is RISE for Equity, um, which is another Mayo Clinic conference, which is scheduled for November, 2021 in person in Minneapolis. And the RISE is Reflect, Inspire, Strengthen, Empower for Equity. And if any of our listeners would like to join us at any of these meetings, that would be another way um, to get a hold of me and many other colleagues from across the country who are interested in this space. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing and audience stay tuned for the two upcoming conferences and initiatives. Thank you so much, Dr. Bagara. And it was, it was a pleasure and it's honor and a delight to get to know you, your amazing work. And then thank you so much again for sharing with us and our audience. Absolutely. The pleasure was entirely mine. Thank you again for the kind invite and for all the excellent work that you are doing. Kudos and congratulations for this amazing platform that you are committed to. Uh, thanks for being a great role model. Thank you. Looking forward to our future conversations. Absolutely. Well, you take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Again, this is Rise Up, AAPI Excellence, 
I am your host, Dr. Xuan Wang Wolf. You're welcome to connect with me via LinkedIn. Stay tuned for our next episode. Take care.